0: This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Anuja Vaidya, Senior Editor and Special Events Lead at mHealth Intelligence. Growing alongside the COVID-19 pandemic is a mental health epidemic that many worry will last years after the public health emergency has ended. The pandemic brought with it social isolation, uncertainty, and economic hardships, which spurred mental and behavioral health struggles to new heights. Research shows that to cope, many turn to alcohol and other substances. Dr. Justly Chatwal, Chief Medical Officer at Residential and Outpatient Treatment Center, Sierra Tucson, is joining us to discuss the growing trend of self-medication among U.S. adults, how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted it, and what providers can do to address the issue. Dr. Chatwal, thank you so much for coming on to the Healthcare Strategies podcast today. Thank you
1: for having me, Anuja.
0: Great. So first, could you just briefly describe Sierra Tucson and its
1: work? So Sierra Tucson has been a mental health facility and especially an addiction treatment facility in Tucson, Arizona, for about 40 years now. Sierra Tucson was started as a labor of love by our founder, and has continued to have impact in the addiction space, not only in Arizona, but across the country. At this point, we have grown into an inpatient residential, as well as outpatient mental health and addiction treatment facility. We have people who come from all across the US to spend a few weeks with us in treatment and really start to dig deep into the root causes that keep them stuck whether it be in the realm of mental health, trauma recovery, addiction recovery, or also recovery from chronic pain. So we pride ourselves in really working with the whole person, being able to address both mental health addiction and then also physical health needs as they arise and really being able to provide integrated care in that way. Another really important element of Sierra Tucson treatment is integrative treatment, which is using all holistic complementary options that are available to us to help people on their journey of healing. So I'm glad to be here to represent Sierra Tucson and then talk to you about this. Really important issue of how the pandemic has impacted mental health and addiction treatment.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like Sierra Tucson is really immersed in this arena. And the organization recently commissioned a survey about self-medication. So before we get to discussing the findings, I do want to ask you, you know, you must have already had a wealth of firsthand knowledge from your patients about the pervasiveness and impacts of self-medication. So I'm curious, what drove Sierra Tucson to gather this data in the first place?
1: That's a great question. I think we were trying to put together a survey that essentially just got a sampling of US adults and tried to understand how people were coping with the mental health impacts that we were noticing in our patients. We were also concerned that we may start seeing that second pandemic or the second wave of mental health impact. And so trying to assess how we should. Develop our programming or change things in how we deliver care or even, you know, increase access to care for others who need it. And so I think the survey came out of just trying to assess how people were doing, especially in the addiction realm. Like you said, we did have some firsthand information about the fact that people were struggling more because they were working from home and isolated from their loved ones. And even when maybe the lockdowns ended, people were scared to go out and still did not have their normal coping mechanisms available to them. And so we wanted to try and get a sense of how people were coping, not really knowing what the answer was going to look like.
0: Absolutely. So let's dive into some of those answers, some of those results. So can you share with us who you were surveying, a little bit about your process and then of course, you know, what were some of the key trends that the survey uncovered about self-medication in the US?
1: Yeah, so we used a company called Ipsos IPSOS that actually conducts a lot of online surveys. They're probably one of the largest surveying organizations in the world, it seems, and they ended up doing the survey for us. We were just wanting to capture adults in the U.S., and we had thought working adults would be a good population to try and assess. Because they're usually the people who are struggling to balance the responsibility of needing to go to work to maintain their livelihood and their families, but then may still be struggling because of having to work throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so I think it ended up being a sampling of a thousand plus people, 100% of who had worked at some point or the other during the pandemic, And so I think about 80% had been employed throughout and the remaining had been employed at different parts of the pandemic.
0: Absolutely. So did the findings sort of help shed any more light on how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected mental health and then as a result, substance abuse disorders across the country?
1: Yes and no. So I think like you asked earlier, we did already know that people were struggling. So it actually helped solidify that knowledge that Mm -hmm. even in this really random sampling of a thousand plus people, people were struggling Mm -hmm. and that folks were having difficulty really using their normal coping mechanisms. And then one of the other pieces that was maybe a little bit surprising was to what degree people were actually using alcohol, cannabis or marijuana, Mm -hmm. and then other drugs to cope. We had expected that people were struggling to cope. So that wasn't maybe as much of a surprise. Mm -hmm. But the part that was more surprising was the ways in which they were doing it. And then especially the fact that they were continuing to use that alcohol and cannabis and sometimes other drugs also during the workday. I think we'd all read in the news about how alcohol sales went up, people were getting home delivery of alcohol. So I think, you know, the data, maybe the numbers were not as surprising, but the fact that people were doing this during the workday and possibly when they, you know, may even have had kids at home, that was the part
0: that was really more shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not so much the fact that this was a way people were coping with the pandemic, but sort of the manner in which it was being done or the times of the day, absolutely. Was there anything else that really kind of took you by surprise, anything else really unexpected that um, stood out in the results of the survey?
1: I think the other thing that for me stood out was the fact that people, in terms of the coping mechanisms they were using there was a smattering of multiple different things that we all expect people to do, like listen to music, go for a walk, et cetera. But the surprising element was how few of them were actually reaching out to a mental health professional. Mm. And so it seemed like there were only 13% of people who had newly reached out to a mental health practitioner. Um, And even in that case, they weren't getting all the help that they could. And so really noticing that as much as we knew that people needed to get help, and they recognized there was something that wasn't feeling okay for them, they weren't using the the number one resource one would think of. Mm -hmm. Like if I, as a physician, think of somebody struggling with mental health, I'm like, oh, go get a therapist, go see a
0: doctor. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like that's not what they were doing. Right. So data on the state of self-medication, on substance abuse, on mental health conditions is only increasing. I mean, we've seen so many studies and reports coming out over the course of the pandemic, But ultimately these data points really press forward the urgent question that I wanna put to you now, which is what can the healthcare system do? What needs to be done to curb this rising trend and how specifically is Sierra Tucson joining in the effort? Oh, that is the million dollar question. I think as healthcare providers, more than
1: anything else, we have to continue our effort to continue to reduce stigma and let people know how this is not a unique challenge to be facing. I think really normalizing the issue has become important. And I really think a lot of media organizations, including your podcast here, to really shine a light on mental health and highlight how mental health and addiction issues Are popping up and coming up for so many people who previously may have struggled, and even those who previously may not have struggled. And so I think that's one of those pieces where, as a healthcare organization, we've been trying to do a lot where we host webinars almost every week to two weeks, putting out information. We've been doing social media campaigns to try and reduce stigma. So I think that being one of the important drivers. Another thing that healthcare organizations should do is also make sure that we're prioritizing the health of our employees and our workers, because we know that we are that group that also has worked throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we definitely need to sort of take care of ourselves, put our masks on first before we put the mask on our fellow passengers, like the airplane safety protocols say, And I think similarly in the healthcare system, really moving towards mental health and addiction parity, which means that healthcare organizations should continue to push insurance companies to get equal treatment so that mental health care and addiction treatment is covered as well as physical health treatment is covered. I know that a lot of states across the country are working on that. And in Arizona, we've done a lot of work around that. And so that is Also, a way all healthcare professionals in the future, I think, need to continue to push for being treated equally for mental health. Um, Large organizations, including healthcare organizations, can also make sure that their insurance covers that for their employees. Mm -hmm. Because you want to make sure that you have a really good mental health coverage plan in the insurance that you're offering to your employees. Because that's really the way people will reach out for help. And we know that folks struggle in figuring out how to go to somebody and how to afford the care if it's not a network for them. I can continue to go on with those points, but starting with some of these really important pieces initially, and then for all of us to continue to educate ourselves if we're not in the mental health space and start to really understand how mental health is half of all health. Mm -hmm. you could have the fittest body and just have all your lab values right in the middle of normal when you do Mm -hmm. your blood tests with your doctor. Mm -hmm. But if you are feeling depressed or you're overtly anxious for the situation, you're not being able to function because of the stress of today's world, then that's really going to leave all that physical health to the side because you're not being able to enjoy your life or operate in your life to your fullest capabilities.
0: Absolutely. I'd love to hone in on one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting about how people are self-medicating instead of doing the thing that you would expect them to do which is just to reach out to a mental health provider. And you said that Sierra Tucson is trying to take out some of the stigma that surrounds reaching out to a mental health provider. And I was just wondering, how are you driving engagement on that? You know, putting things out on social media helps raise awareness, certainly. But is there any ways that you think it could be helpful for healthcare organizations to really make sure patients are engaging versus viewing an ad or viewing a social media campaign? Wow, what a question. So I personally, I have to admit, I
1: struggle with social media. I started my own social media channels last year. And I found it to be an overwhelming amount of information that you have to sort out and figure out how the SEO and how to drive engagement. So I'm definitely not the person to answer that question. I do know that with us, what we've seen to be helpful at Sierra Tucson is that we have a peer coaching model. Mm -hmm. So we have an application, sort of like a phone app that people can download after they're leaving our treatment. And in that, we have peer counselors who, or we call them peer coaches, who can then help support people as they're transitioning out of treatment back into their home environments and we provide that support for a year. So they do support groups through that. And they also have the ability to sort of journal or do entries about how their mood is or how their anxiety levels are. Are they drinking? Are they not? Mm-hmm. Sort of an accountability feature in where they have to do that reporting. And then an engagement feature where they get to collect together with other people who've been to Sierra Tucson got it, and continue to talk about recovery. But in that same spirit, I think not talking specifically about social media and such, I really think some of the data in mental health really shows that the opposite of distress is not just happiness, it's actually connectedness. Mm. So being connected with other individuals in a truly meaningful way. And so things that we could all do would be really getting involved in some sort of activity or group which is aligned with something we like to do. So if it's you joining a walking group or joining a group of people for a hike, starting to take pottery classes, doing something that helps you engage with other people and also continue to feed yourself in a creative way or feed yourself in a way that is really aligned with your interests, that those would be things that are the antidote to the isolation that we've all been suffering through.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. We can all use a little more connectedness these days, that's for sure. You know, in this episode and sort of in the industry at large, we've talked a lot about the severe detrimental impacts that COVID-19 has had on the country, but we've also seen that through the pandemic, as much as it has been a very dark time for the nation and for the world, it has forced some tremendous strides forward in certain areas of the healthcare industry. So did COVID-19 bring about any opportunities for mental health and addiction treatment that maybe weren't there before? Like with
1: most things that have negative impacts, I feel like there's the flip side of the coin. And I think that's what you're speaking to, Anuja. So it seems for mental health treatment specifically that more people are talking about it and more people talking about it is really positive from the element of being able to reduce stigma, normalize the existence of struggle. So if I can be on your podcast and share how many people I know who are struggling or the fact that I myself struggled with it, which I really did, like I had a really dark period during the summer where I felt more tired than usual, needed to sleep longer, didn't feel like I had the enthusiasm to pick up new projects and such. And so really for each of us learning what our own risk factors are, and what are some signals that our bodies give us that we're not doing well. So I think the fact that so many celebrities have spoken up at this time, people who are you know, apparently seeming like their life is together are coming and telling us, hey, listen, I'm not feeling okay. So I think that first level of just people being more willing to share has helped reduce stigma definitely to a degree and help to normalize the experience for so many others who are struggling. The second thing is telehealth. I mean, the pandemic definitely took telehealth and put it in outer orbit in terms of growth. And we've all been able to figure out, even those of us who may have been a little bit scared about, what is it like to see a doctor over tele? Or for doctors, like, what is it like to see patients over telly, That we're all becoming more comfortable with it. And it seemed like the tech industry has definitely supported that growth by being able to provide tools that can help. From a legislative element, it also seems like a lot more legislators and state as well as federal governments are allowing more to be done via telehealth and adding new legislation around it, which helps make it more accessible. So another upside And then we know that there's a lot more dollars coming into mental health treatment and addiction treatment. And as much as money doesn't end up in a good result all the time, we do hope that all of this money will be used in a good way to improve access to care in schools for children, improve the ability of people who live in more rural or remote areas to access treatment, and just make it a little bit easier for folks who truly want treatment and are willing to get treatment to get that treatment that they need.
0: Absolutely. Again, I kind of want to hone in on something you just said about legislation and allowing for expanded access to mental health and behavioral health treatment in different care modalities and across different regions. So what do you think needs to happen on a regulatory level? Or I guess what do you hope to see in the regulatory landscape moving forward to ensure that mental health and behavioral health treatment remains accessible? that is a question that's close to my heart. And in Arizona, we
1: actually passed a telehealth omnibus, our state did in 2021, which seems to be fairly broad and you know almost has all the elements that I could imagine there to be to improve telehealth access. And so I think for me, the really important things are making sure that telehealth is paid at the same rate that people pay for in-person visits, and to really leave it between the physician and their patient to decide which modality is better for that individual. If my patient lives in a rural area and had to travel an hour to see me, and maybe has a condition that I'm now pretty well versed with, I might tell them, hey, you don't need to travel next time, we can just do a televisit. But if I know that they're having some physical symptoms related to medications I've prescribed, then I could have that discussion with them and make that decision. Another thing that I think would continue to be helpful, especially in the mental health realm, is for our older patients that a lot of regulation and legislation should continue to allow for audio-only telehealth. And that is basically that instead of adding the video element, that you can call your patient over the phone or the patient can call you over the phone and you can do the encounter in that way. It's not an ideal way to do it. But for some of our patients who may be more challenged by technology, and me saying older patients, I don't intend to be ageist. It just seems like that is an experience that some of the older patients who are in the geriatric population, some of them have not had as much access to technology as our millennials who've been growing up with it. I mean, I definitely didn't have a smartphone when I was growing up. And so I think those are some of the pieces that really need to be looked at and continue to have support from state governments, which is really where telehealth legislation ends up being most effective. Because even learning from the Parity and Addiction Equity Act that was passed in 2008, we know that you could pass the most beautiful thing at the federal level, but unless it's replicated at the state level and then rules are made at the state level in accordance, it just doesn't pan out as well as it could.
0: Right, absolutely. Well, here's hoping some of those changes become more permanent this year and beyond. That's all the time we have for today, but thank you so much for sharing these insights, Dr. Chatwal. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Anuja. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to us at avaidya at extelligentmedia.com. That's a v a i d ya at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts on this topic. You can also use that email address to tell us any healthcare-related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. Also, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please do let us know. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.